Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Chantelle. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's lovely to be with you this morning. We're actually continuing our series that we've been doing in the last few weeks called Believe, and we're looking at the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how we've been doing that is exploring it through chapters 14 to 17 of the book of John in the Bible. So this is a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before he dies called the Farewell Discourse. And thankfully, John recorded it so we could read about it today. But before I dive into that, I really need to mention a special award that someone in our church has won. Um, You can see, hopefully, this is Carly Ogilvie. She's going to be probably so embarrassed that I put this up. But she's pictured here with Craig and their girls, and she won a Volunteer of the Year Award from the Council. So Carly has worked with Mid and East Antrim Council throughout 2021 to establish the first community fridge in the borough at Eden Allotments. And I first heard Carly talking about this dream and idea during a life group that we had on Zoom. So it just shows that dreams can still happen during lockdowns and then come to pass. So the mayor um, said, these awards are especially for individuals, groups, or businesses who have shown long-term commitment to improving their local community via cleanups, greenups, and in-bloom activities, and who go above and beyond for the borough. And if you know Carly, she always goes above and beyond. She's so enthusiastic. She's so dedicated. The team of volunteers she's built up is incredible. Only a few of them from our, our church, because she knows loads of people. And they collect food from organizations and shops like Tesco, Asda, Henderson's Co-op, Marxies. They put it in the fridge at Eden Allotments. So none of that food goes to landfill and loads of people get blessed by it. So we're so delighted for Carly winning that award. She's not here, so I can't embarrass her by giving her a round of applause. Hopefully she's watching at home. So well done to her. And it's just wonderful to see these kind of things flourishing in our community. Okay, so <clears throat> carrying on with the green up and in bloom theme, before I move ahead to the verses we're meant to be doing, I kind of have to go back to the start of John 15 that we did last week, which is the vine and the branches. Because this week in my garden, I randomly just went outside and started cutting back plants. And I don't know if you can see from that picture, but one of them was a climber. And it had started to wrap itself around the branches of a tree. And before I carry on with this, I want to say it's not the same tree that Paul talked about last week that he was totally slagging off, which is this tree in our front garden. I thought he was actually a bit mean about the tree. I'm quite fond of that tree. I like it, even if you don't. So anyway, back to that tree I'm actually talking about. So this is my back garden, and I pulled the climber out as much as I could because some of it had gone really high, so the tree wasn't entangled anymore. And it just really made me think about the verses before. You know, are there things in our lives that we need to let our father, the gardener, prune back that are entangling us, that are maybe taking over who we are and who we're meant to be? And I have to confess, I'm really not a gardener. I don't know much about plants. I don't even know what any of them are called. I just go into the shop or the garden center and I'm like, oh, that one looks nice. That would fit in that wee space there in my garden. You know, I like the leaves or the flowers, so I just pick one. And 
just as much as I don't know what I'm doing when I'm buying them, I don't know what I'm doing when I'm printing them. I don't know if I should print them, when I should print them, how often, how much to cut them back, am I printing them or killing them? So here's a picture next. I became a bit savage. <laughs> That's Marley the dog with some of the stuff I put, cut back. <clears throat> it was actually quite fun pulling the climber out of the tree where it didn't belong. And once I started cutting, I just couldn't stop. <laughs> so I made a bit of a mess. And even though I didn't know what I was doing, I don't know if I've cared for the plants or if I've killed the plants. I actually need Ben to help me. So um, next one shows the mess I made and how much I cut them back. But as I cut them back, I was reflecting again on our father as the gardener. And I was so glad that he is not a gardener like me. He knows every single plant, he knows every vine, he knows every branch, he knows when to prune back and when to let things grow. He knows us, he knows when we need to be pruned, he knows how to help us flourish and bear fruit. And as you can see from my poor plants, pruning isn't always comfortable, it doesn't always look good. You know, the, I've, I think I've left it looking a bit bare and ugly to be honest, but I'm hoping they'll grow and flourish and be more healthy. And that's what our father does. Pruning left a bit of a mess, which I had to tidy up. I had to carry all that stuff through the house <laughs> because we don't have a side passage. So there was mess everywhere, which I thankfully tidied up before Paul got home. But when I finished, it didn't look perfect, but it looked fresh and ready to go. So that's a picture of it now. <laughs> so please don't judge me, excellent gardeners. Um, maybe you could give me some advice later, but... I just really felt like I wanted to share that with you guys this morning. Maybe there's some pruning God needs to do in us. Maybe for a time it might leave us feeling a little bit bare and exposed. But he'll always help us to tidy up the mess. So, and the verse in John 15, verse 8, it's for our good and for his glory. And it'll help us bear fruit. So I just really, when I was cutting those back, I just kept thinking and thinking. And I thought I'll share that with you guys today. So let's dive into what I'm actually meant to be talking about. And I'm really sorry, there's quite a long chunk here, so I'm going to read it, even though for some reason I'm feeling a bit breathless. <laughs> I don't know why. So I'm going to read from John 15, 18. That's picking up where we're starting off from. So as Paul says every week, bear with if you're not an auditory learner and just try and keep up here and um, follow it along in your own Bible or phone or whatever, if that helps. So the world hates the disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours too. They will treat you this way because of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the, Holy, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. 
And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. John 16. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. We will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where are you going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. So that's quite long. Um, and Paul's even going to do a bit more after I'm done. But don't worry, I'm not going to go through every single verse. But when I read that bit, I actually found it quite sobering. Um, it probably was a wee bit tempting, if we're honest, to leave that bit out. It's nicer to talk about the vine and the branches and remain in me, but I feel like we need to think about this. So um, if you just pick out some of the things in that, you know, the world hates the disciples. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. Like those words are quite hard to read. And um, I was thinking about persecution, and maybe when we think of persecution, our minds may go to things happening in other countries, and I feel like it's important to think about that. So the next picture is a map of the world, and this is from an organization called Open Doors, which loads of you have probably heard about, who help persecuted Christians across the world. And I didn't know there's 340 million Christians who suffer persecution and discrimination. They follow Jesus no matter what it costs them. And open doors help them bring them resources and hope. And each year they have a world watch list. Um, and they make a list of where the countries are that are most extremely persecuted. So this year in 2021, the top five in the rankings are firstly North Korea, second Afghanistan, third Somalia, fourth Libya, and fifth Pakistan. So you can imagine, well, we can't imagine actually what it's like to be there and to be a Christian. So I just wanted to give you one brief example of Afghanistan because I think, you know, we've heard a lot about it recently. It's number two in the watch list, and we know it's now held by the Taliban. We don't know how many Christians there are because they have to keep their faith a secret but only a small number of Christians from a population of over 38 million. If you're a Christian in Afghanistan, it's impossible to live openly. Leaving Islam is considered shameful, and you're going to face dire consequences if people find out you've become a Christian. You either have to flee the country or be killed. If a Christian's family discovers they've converted, their family or tribe has to save its honor by disowning the believer or even killing them. And Christians from a Muslim background can also be sectioned in a psychiatric hospital because leaving Islam is considered a sign of insanity. So open doors encourage us to pray for the secret believers. And this is just from Saeed, one local believer in Afghanistan, what he said. He told the partners of Open Doors that he and his fellow Christians are already known to the Taliban. The list has been circulated with our names on it. He, in their secret network, all they can do to keep in contact with each other is to call each other and ask, you know, how's your headache or your shoulder pain or 
They have to talk about old health concerns to be able to stay connected. That's all they can ask each other. You know, they can't talk about their faith or anything. So it's just an encouragement for us this morning to pray for those believers in Afghanistan who've been exposed to the Taliban and protection for those who are at risk. And there's some who are missing and just to pray that their loved ones will be able to find them. It's just really hard to think about all that. And I just thought, you know, when we look at those verses again, the world hates the disciples. You know, we don't experience anything like that in this country at all. And we're certainly called to pray and support those who are persecuted in that way. And I just encourage you, if God's stirring your heart about that, to look at open doors. And there's so many stories and things you can pray. But I was thinking, what? how does this apply to us then in Northern Ireland as we look at those verses and how we live? And I was trying to puzzle it out, you know, talks about persecution, the world hating you. And I actually picked up a book that I've had for quite a while and I keep like starting it and, and not getting into it and starting it again. And it, when I picked it up and started, it was exactly what this was about in some ways. It's called Live No Lies by a guy called John Mark Comer. And he's basically saying that we are at war and our enemy is real. He lives in America, but we can see it applies to us here too. And he's saying the experience of following Jesus in this cultural moment that we're living in is like a war for the soul. So as followers of Jesus, we're at war with the world, the flesh and the devil are the three things. So maybe I thought that's what it means in John when he says the world hates you. We're at war with the world, so the world hates us. And I just wanted to share briefly these three things he said that our generation is living through because it really helped me to understand this and think about it. <coughs> so the first one is we're moving from the majority to the minority. So as followers of Jesus, what we believe, how we live and how we view the world are more and more actually opposite to the culture and we're coming under more pressure to follow the crowd and to go along with what culture tells us. And I just wonder if you feel that, because I do feel that. Um, second one, he says, our place in culture is shifting from a place of honor to a place of shame. So years ago, probably Christians used to be respected. You know, we're seen as good people. And now the church is seen as part of the problem, not the solution. And we've heard John Wright, our national director of Vineyard, and churches UK and Ireland share similar thoughts. There's been such a reversal around human sexuality, gender, and the life of the unborn. So what Jesus thinks about sexuality is actually viewed negatively by a lot of people. And I wonder, you know, sometimes it feels like in Northern Ireland we're maybe a wee bit behind the curve. But I wonder if we're sensing that here as well as in the US and the rest of the UK and Ireland. And then thirdly, he says... There's a shift from widespread tolerance to rising hostility. So a growing number of our secular friends and neighbors think of us not just as weird because we issue premarital sex, give away a percentage of our income and refuse to be held captive by a political party or ideology, but as dangerous, a threat to secularism's alternative vision to human flourishing. So we're not just weirdos. <laughs> We're actually a threat, a threat to the culture and the majority. And maybe that's what it means about swimming against the tide. 
And he's not saying that we face persecution, but there is this kind of thing we're living under. It's like hard for us to say we follow Jesus. So I think it's good for us then when we're reading these words in John 16 and verse 4, he says, I've told you this so that when your time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So Jesus is telling us living as a Christian and to follow Jesus is not easy. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be hard. And he's like telling us about this so that we know what to expect. And maybe in the West, it hasn't been like that for a long time. But now it feels more and more it is like that. So just um, John 15, 26 to 27 is about the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can see from these verses, we're called to live out our faith, to testify, as it says here, the Spirit will testify about Jesus and we must also testify. So it's about living out our faith, sharing it. And um, John Mark Comer says, every day can feel like a war in our souls, a spiritual assault in our faith, a fight just to stay saved or at least to stay orthodox, to stay faithful to Jesus and to stay sane, much less to stay happy and at peace. And from reading these verses and um, thinking about the persecution that Christians experience in other places and to think about our own culture and how it's hard to follow him, I just felt really challenged and I just felt like, how much do we need the Holy Spirit? His power, his comfort, his love, his truth. And it says the disciples didn't understand it, everything, and just as they didn't, we don't fully understand it, everything I don't understand at all. But I just really think this is where the next part of this chapter comes in, that we need to hold on to the promises of Jesus. Remember, we have the Holy Spirit and the the advocate that he gives to us. And Paul's just going to come and pick up then and share a wee bit more about that. Thanks. Why don't we take half time? So it's like a game of two halves. This is half time, blowing the whistle. So uh, if you had the half time oranges, you could be uh, taking your orange and all the rest. But seriously, take 60 seconds, talk amongst yourselves, and then I'll continue on. How's that?
Okay. Well, uh, let's blow the whistle. And um, that was a great performance in the first half. I can't promise the second half will be um, as good, but it will certainly be shorter. So uh, anyway, let's just remind ourselves, this: these four chapters we're talking about is Jesus with the 11 remaining disciples. He knows he's going to his death. He's going to be arrested shortly. And all of these are the last words that he gets to share with his nearest and dearest. And it's all about preparing them for what's to come. And as Chantelle has uh, pointed out from the end there of the chapter, as we lead into the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus is promising that times are going to be tough. You are going to suffer. You're going to suffer persecution. I want to pick up uh, John 16, verse 5 through to 15, and then rattle through a few things here. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The disciples are kind of shell-shocked. It's like Jesus' words to them. As he's saying to them, uh, you know, you are, you are filled with grief. You're not even asking me where I'm going, even though Jesus has spent the previous two chapters telling his disciples that he's going and he's going to leave them and he's going to be with the Father. But he can sense the mood in the camp. They've moved from the, uh, the upper room where they've had dinner together. He's had that conversation. They've moved. They've gone down the valley, up the other side, into the Garden of Gethsemane. And during this conversation that he's having with them, he can sense that they're filled with grief. Another translation uses the word sorrow. They are sorrowful for two reasons. One, they know what's coming is going to be really tough. And it's like you don't want to be dealt those kind of words, but that's what they are receiving. And then secondly, they're filled with grief because they know that they will no longer be with Jesus. But Jesus comforts them in their sorrow and in their grief. And he says, it is for your good that I go. It's for your good that this is going to happen. Why? Because unless I go, the Holy Spirit, the advocate's not going to be able to come. But if I go, I promise you, I will send him. And he will be with you. And he will remind you of all of the things that I have said to you. Jesus was one man in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit is what's known as omnipresent. It means he can be in all people, in all places, at all times, everywhere. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, goodness, the Holy Spirit. It's like, 
It's like, where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwells in places. You ever been to a 24-7 prayer thing and you've walked in for your hour and you kind of walk in, you're like, oh, wow. The Holy Spirit is so tangible. His presence is so there. We read, don't we, in the Old Testament where the glory of the risen, uh, the glory of the Lord was in the temple, in that place, contained in a building. And yet the Holy Spirit isn't contained into just places, but it's into people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, that don't you know that your own bodies, if we're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in us because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so wherever we are, wherever we go, the Holy Spirit goes. Does that not just blow our minds? That the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and so where we go, he goes. The light of the world goes. And so into that staff room when everyone's just, just having a go at the boss and it's so negative. You're on the building site and the language is absolutely foul and you're talking about this and you're talking about that. You're in the nursing home and you're watching your loved ones just pass away. You're in the doctor's surgery waiting for the results. You're in all these different places and you are the light of the world because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So wherever we go, he goes. He's omnipresent. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm only one guy. God on earth. I'm only, I'm only here with you guys now. There's only 11 of you. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty of people that I need to reveal myself to. And that can only come through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he explains more about the Holy Spirit from what he's already said in the previous two chapters. He says this, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Here in these words, Jesus is describing a different role of the personality of the Holy Spirit. Previously, the last few weeks, in the previous two chapters, we've said what Jesus has said, that the Holy Spirit will come. Uh, he's going to be the sent one, and he will teach you and he will remind you, and he will lead you into all truth. And yet Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit here that he's going to bring conviction, conviction towards sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is required to bring about conviction of sin for those who don't believe. He's the one who woos us and draws us towards repentance. But, uh, some people have asked me, how do you ever become a Christian? I'm like, I don't know. I just... You know, it was just during a time when I was worried about things, I started praying. That, that's true, but actually a lot of it is because the Holy Spirit was wooing me, drawing me, inviting me, as he always is, into relationship with him. And he brings about the conviction of sin. There became this reality of like, oh my goodness, on my own, oh, look at what I'm doing. Look at the choices that I'm making. Look at the people in which I'm hurting. And the Holy Spirit brings about conviction of sin. And that's still true today. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, you know when you do something wrong. And it's not just because it might be our morals or whatever. It's because the Holy Spirit just, just rests kind of heavy on us. And we know we have wronged. And we know that we need to repent. And we need to uh, change the way or the choices that we're making. The Holy Spirit reveals that indeed Jesus was the only person who was righteous, the only person that lived a sinless life, and only 
he could have ever died and rose again from the dead. The Holy Spirit speaks of judgment in the face that at the cross, the devil was judged, defeated, and um, overcome. Jesus goes on and he says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Isn't he gracious? Isn't he loving? There's loads in this conversation. There's loads that he speaks about over, uh, I don't know how long it took to have this conversation. But he could have told him loads more about what was to come. Could have told him about how to start the church. and Could have told him about this guy Paul or Saul. He's going to really attack you at first, but actually he's a good guy. Could have told them about church planting and all the rest. They could have told them that actually the way in which you're going to die is going to be pretty horrific. But he doesn't tell him those things. He says, I've got loads more I could tell you, but it's too much for you to bear. And the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. The Holy Spirit only reveals to us just nearly that step ahead. And when we get to that step, he then reveals more to us. And he says, okay, now you've come this far. Now I want you to turn here. And now I want you to turn there. And that's often what um, the Holy Spirit does. To begin with, he just says, come follow me. And whenever we make that decision and that choice to, to respond to his invitation, he takes us to another place and to another place. I've used this story before. If you don't know us that well, you'll not know this. If you know us really well, you'll know our story really well. But we got married in the uh, year 2000. And actually, before we got married, I had a really strong sense that at some point, I would move from the land flowing of milk and honey, which is known as England, across the water to this war-torn country of Northern Ireland, and that I would raise a family. And not only that, but that we would be uh, able to plant church and plant churches. And I had that deep within me as, as, as something which I really sensed the Lord had, had entrusted to us together. And, and I remember in the first year being married together saying, oh, yeah, you know, someday we'll go there someday. And she tells like, I just think we need to move there, go there, and just settle there. And I was like, I am not going until God shows us the plan, until God shows us where we're meant to be and when we're going to start a church. And I need a paid job that's going to do that. Chantel, much more godly than I am. She says, I think we need to be obedient. We need to take the first step. And that's just move. And that's what we did. We came over and I, I became a teacher for a few years. And that's what we did. And we still do. But it was with time. And I could tell you the rest of the story. We don't have time. Of just one step after another of obedience. Because the Holy Spirit gives us enough for today. And when we obey him and we follow his lead and his voice there, then he speaks again. And he reveals the next step of the journey. And so on and so forth. We don't know what's around the corner until we reach the bend. But when the Holy, when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Going to end with this. I've got more, but I want to end with this. I'm so glad for the person of the Holy Spirit. So glad that He's in me. And that I love the prophetic. I love it when someone brings a prophetic word to me. They hear the Lord and they share that and reveal that to me. But I love just the Holy Spirit myself, abiding in him, spending time in his presence, trying to listen to the still, small voice, the whispers, the leading, the comfort, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to me personally. 
I was with one of you uh, during the week. We met for coffee, and uh, I was chatting away to you, and you'll know who you are. And uh, I said, so what time do you start your work then? He tells me 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's awful. <laughs> that's absolutely terrible. I said, what time do you get up then? He says, 5.30. Five what are you getting up that time for? It's like, I have to spend the time with the Lord. He just described to me, just said, doesn't matter that's even earlier. I just need to have that time with him. I need to be in his presence. And I fairly play for you. That's the way. That's about abiding. That's about carving out time, being deliberate, being intentional. Why? Listening to his voice, listening to his lead. Folks, we are immersed in a culture where there are voices speaking to us all of the time. For those of us who are engaged with social media, this is not a you're a really bad person moment. But I will say, the voices, the messages that we are listening to, that we're seeing, that we're learning, that we're taking on board, are whatever we're choosing to look at and what we're choosing to read. When we tune into the news, when we watch TV, when we're listening to this person and that person, boy, we're so good at listening to the lies of the enemy and allowing them to shape our thinking and live out our lives. And yet the Holy Spirit comes to guide us in all truth. And we need to be deliberate. We need to carve out that time to allow him, the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth.